Good morning, all my friends out there. How's everybody doing? First off, I want to say, my bad if you're following the Rabbit Hole Power Hour chronology. Um, it's on a brief pause. I'm having some technical problems. But I'm working on it, and that will be coming back soon. But I figured I would jump on here and read a little bit of the news, some news stories that I found recently. Um, also, if you want to continue on with Rabbit Hole Power Hour, go to audiomac.com slash format FM, and it actually goes up to episode 22. Um, if you're on here or Spreaker, it only goes up to episode 7, I believe. Uh, so again, audiomac.com slash format FM, or just search format FM. Getting on to today's stories. I'm just going to flip through my phone and see what I can find for you today. Uh, first up, from Belarus, Lukashenko warns Ukraine and deploys troops along with Russia. Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko chairs a meeting on security in, in Minsk, Belarus, on October 10th. Uh, London, according to... Reuters, Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko said on Monday he had ordered troops to deploy with Russian forces near Ukraine in response to what he said was a clear threat to Belarus from Kiev and its backers in the West. The remarks from Lukashenko, who has held power in Belarus since 1994, indicate a potential further escalation of the war in Ukraine, possibly with a combined Russian-Belarus joint force in the north of Ukraine. Strikes on the territory of Belarus are not just being discussed in Ukraine today, but are also being planned, said Lukashenko. Their owners are pushing them to start a war against Belarus to drag us there. We have been preparing for this for decades. If necessary, we will respond, Lukashenko said. Lukashenko also said he had agreed with Putin to deploy a regional military group and had started pulling forces together two days ago. Apparently after an attack on Russia's road and rail bridge to Crimea early on Saturday. Lukashenko said that a warning was delivered to Belarus through unofficial channels that Ukraine planned Crimean Bridge 2, though he did not give details. He said, my answer was simple. Tell the president of Ukraine and the other lunatics, if they touch one meter of our territory, then the Crimean Bridge will seem to them like a walk in the park. Belarus's army has about 60,000 people. Earlier this year, Belarus deployed six battalion tactical groups, totaling several thousand people to the border areas. On Sunday, the head of Belarus's border guards accused Ukraine of provocations at the border. Russian forces used Belarus as a staging post for their February 24th invasion of Ukraine, sending troops and equipment into northern Ukraine from bases inside Belarus. Uh, this article comes to you from Reuters, and there is also editing by Guy Falkenbridge. That's kind of a cool name. Moving on from 
our friends at foxnews.com. Planned Parenthood criticized for cartoon on YouTube promoting puberty blockers to children. The video tells viewers that some people may need hormone replacement therapy or surgeries to help them match up to how they feel inside. Planned Parenthood took some flack on social media last week for promoting a cartoon that encouraged children to take hormone blockers if they're feeling confused about their gender. The video was posted on the group's YouTube channel earlier this year, but received renewed attention after the group inside the classroom reposted it on Twitter last week. The video tells viewers that feeling confused about their gender identity is perfectly natural, noting that some people may need hormone replacement therapy or surgeries to help them match up to their gender identity or, quote, how they feel inside about themselves. The narrator says, if you're transgender or non-binary, you may find that your puberty experiences don't line up with your gender identity or how you see yourself. The video then encourages puberty blockers to delay the onset of puberty so that people can figure out what's right for them and their gender identity. In an interview, Karen Spruch, a Planned Parenthood director, says that it's critical that these depictions accurately portray women's real decisions and experiences. In reference to the illegal abortions portrayed in Blonde, in something called Blonde, I don't know what that is. Um, the video goes on to say, and they work like a stop sign by holding the hormones testosterone and estrogen that cause puberty changes like facial hair growth and periods. Uh, the video also says that they en encourage any viewers to talk to a trusted adult and a nurse or doctor. Twitter users weighed in criticizing what many regarded as misinformation. One user said, why in the world would any child or their parents want to block puberty? Another said, why is Planned Parenthood now giving medical advice to children? This should be illegal. And one replied, why does Planned Parenthood get any government money at all? That should also be illegal. Um, and finally, the last one said, besides all the lies and inaccuracies, Notice how they don't include the parent. Yeah, that, that's one thing I have noticed, the exclusion and separation of the parent going on as a general thread in society right now. Um, okay, now I'm getting into the good stuff. This comes to us from greatgameindia.com, and it is called How I Learned to Love the New World Order. This comes from Joe Biden in 1992. American President Joe Biden in 1992 wrote a lengthy piece published in the Wall Street Journal in which he explains how he learned to love the New World Order. On April 23, 1992, the Wall Street Journal published an article by Joe Biden titled How I Learned to Love the New World Order. I apologize, I've said that same thing three times now. In which Biden reveals his allegiance to the agenda. As Great Game India reported earlier, Joe Biden's great-grandfather worked for the East India Company. Not many are aware that after the so-called dissolution of the British Empire, the company just went underground and resurfaced with new identities. It is known by many names. 
Empire 2.0, The Deep State, The Hidden Hand, The New World Order, etc. All right, and here is the full article penned by Joe Biden in 1992, How I Learned to Love the New World Order by Joseph R. Biden Jr. This is from the Eastern Edition of the Wall Street Journal, New York, New York, April 23rd, 1992, page A13. Joseph R. Biden Jr. defends his view that the Pentagon's new strategy which appoints the U.S. as a sort of world monitor, could render the U.S. a hollow superpower. Biden explains why he reacted the way he did to the plan. Imagine my surprise when a Wall Street Journal editorial appointed me Dean of the Pat Buchanan School of Neo-Isolationism. My credentials? Believing that the Pentagon's new strategy, America as Globocop, could render the United States a hollow superpower. All agree we need the military capacity to defend our vital interests by ourselves when need be. The question is grand strategy. With the journal's endorsement, the Pentagon has called for a Pax Americana. The US should cast so large a military shadow that no rival dare emerge. American hegemony. I might be saying that wrong. I've, I'm not sure how to say that, sorry. American hegemony might be a pleasant idea, but is it economically, politically, or even militarily wise? Bristling with weapons, we would continue our economic decline while rising industrial and financial giants in Europe and Asia viewed our military pretensions with indifference or contempt. Defense Secretary Dick Cheney outdid even the journal, dipping deep into the well of Cold War argumentation to accuse Pax Americana critics of thinking America's world presence is somehow immoral and dangerous. Why doesn't the journal stop the name-calling, get its schools sorted out, and court an honest debate over America's proper role in the New World Order? Pat Buchanan's American, America First preaches martyrdom. We've been suckered into fighting other people's battles and defending other people's interests. With our dismal economy, this siren song holds some appeal. But most Americans, myself included, reject the 1930s-style isolationism. They expect to see the strong hand of American leadership in world affairs, and they know that economic retreat would yield nothing other than a lower standard of living. They understand further that many security threats, the spread of high-tech weapons, environmental degradation, overpopulation, narcotics trafficking, migration, all require global solutions. What about America as Globocop? First, our 21st century strategy has to be a shade more clever than Mao's axiom that power comes from the barrel of a gun. Power also emanates from a solid bank balance the ability to dominate and penetrate markets, and the economic leverage to wield diplomatic clout. Second, the plan is passive where it needs to be aggressive. The journal endorses a global security system in which we destroy rogue state threats as they arise. Fine, 
but let's prevent such problems early rather than curing them late. Having contained Soviet communism until it dissolved, we need a new strategy of containment. Based, like NATO, on collective action, but directed against weapons proliferation. The reality is that we can slow proliferation to a snail's pace if we stop irresponsible technology transfers. Fortunately, nearly all suppliers are finally showing restraint. The maverick is China, which persists in hawking sensitive weapons and technology to the likes of Syria, Iran, Libya, Algeria, and Pakistan, even while pledging otherwise. The Senate has tried to force China's leaders to choose between third world arms sales, which in 1991 profited over $500 million, and open trade with the U.S., a $12.5 billion annual Chinese surplus. Even though we have convincing intelligence that China's leaders fear the use of this leverage, the president inexplicably refuses to challenge Beijing. Weapons containment can't be foolproof, and against a nuclear-armed North Korea, I would support preemptive military action if necessary. But let's do our best, using supplier restraint and sanctions against outlaw sellers and buyers to avoid having to round up the posse. Why not an anti-proliferation czar in the cabinet to give this objective the prominence it urgently needs? Third, Pax Americana is a direct slap at two of our closest allies, Japan and Germany, and a repudiation of one of our panel. Rather than denigrating collective security, we should regulate the kind of multilateral response we assembled for, we assembled for the Gulf War. Why not breathe life into the UN Charter? Great post-war triumphs. For years, American leaders argued that building democracy in Europe and Asia would guarantee stability because democracies don't start wars. Now the Pentagon says we must keep our military large enough to persuade Japan and Germany not to aspire to a greater role, even to protect their legitimate interests. How has our success suddenly become a threat? It hasn't, but the Pentagon plan could become a self-fulfilling prophecy. By insulting Tokyo and Berlin and arrogating to ourselves military stewardship of the world, we may spark the revival no one wants. Secretary Cheney says he wants the Allies to share the burden on defense matters, but Pax Americana puts us on the wrong end of a paradox. Hegemony means that even our allies can force even greater U.S. defense spending the more they try to share the burden. Fourth, collective security doesn't rule out unilateral action. The journal says I'm among those who want Americans to trust their security to a global committee. But no one advocates that we repeal the inherent right of self-defense enshrined in Article 51 of the United Nations Charter. Secretary Cheney says his plan wouldn't undermine support for the UN, who would know better than the UN's usually understated Secretary General. If implemented, says Boutros Boutros Ghali, the Pentagon's strategy would spell the end of the UN. Rather than 
denigrating collective security, we should regulate the kind of multilateral response we assembled for the Gulf War. Why not breathe life into the UN Charter? It, it envisages a permanent, sorry, it env envisages, sorry, I can't get that one at all. It envisages a permanent com commitment of forces for use by the Security Council. That means a presumption of collective action, but with a US veto. Rather than defending military extravagance, the Bush administration should be reallocating Pentagon funds to meet more urgent security needs, sustaining democracy in the former Soviet Union, supporting UN peacekeepers in Yugoslavia, Cambodia, and El Salvador, and rebuilding a weakened and debt-burdened America. Wow, that's just uh, amazingly ironic that Joe Biden said that. Sorry, going on now, continuing. If Pentagon st strategists and their knee-jerk supporters could broaden their horizons, they would see how our superpower status is best assured. We must get lean militarily, revitalize American economic strength, and exercise a diplomatic leadership that puts new muscle into institutions of collective security. This is from Senator Biden, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, European Affairs Subcommittee. This is from Great Game India, which is looking for contributions, however small. Uh, please make any voluntary payments to greatgameindia.com, uh, which has PayPal and accepts Bitcoin. And if you're listening to me, you probably know that there's quite a bit of censorship in media. So these alternative outlets are very useful and something we need to keep alive. So actually consider donating to them. And I've got just one more story for you guys today. This is from drrathfoundation.org. That's dr-rath-foundation.org. And this, my friends, from the Dr. Rath Health Foundation is called The History of the Pharma Cartel. May 15, 1911, the Supreme Court of the United States finds John Rockefeller and his trust guilty of corruption, illegal business practices, and racketeering. As a result of this decision, the entire Rockefeller Standard Oil Trust, the world's largest corporation of its kind, was sentenced to be dismantled. But Rockefeller was already above the Supreme Court and did not care about this decision. 1913. In order to disperse public and political pressure on him, and other robber barons, Rockefeller uses a trick called philanthropy, whereby the illegal gains from his robber practices in the oil business are used to launch the Rockefeller Foundation. This tax haven was used to strategically take over the healthcare sector in the United States. The Rockefeller Foundation was the front organization for a new global business venture of Rockefeller and his accomplices. 
This new venture was called the pharmaceutical investment business. Donations from the Rockefeller Foundation went only to medical schools and hospitals. These institutions had become missionaries of a new breed of companies, the manufacturers of patented synthetic drugs. This was also the time when the first vitamins were discovered. It soon became clear, however, that these natural molecules had life-saving health benefits and that they were able to prevent many chronic health conditions. The first books appeared with research, subsequently abandoned, about the health benefits of vitamins. These newly discovered molecules had only one disadvantage. They were, they were non-patentable. Thus, in its first years of existence, the pharmaceutical investment business already faced a mortal threat. Vitamins and other micronutrients promoted as public health programs would prohibit the development of any sizable investment business based on patented drugs. So, if this is the first time this thought is coming to you, uh, please mull it over and consider this because it really, it's really feeling and looks and um, it just really seems that all of these things we have in our society can be traced back to money and greed and uh, just goes to show how much we're misleaded. Um, I, I'm not going to get onto my own personal soapbox, but anyway, where was I? The elimination of this unwanted competition from natural micronutrients therefore became a question of life and death for the pharmaceutical business. So yeah, they couldn't have they couldn't have an alternative there. They couldn't have a way you can make yourself healthy. They need you to be lost, confused, and unhealthy so that you look for the answers of how to become healthy, of which you get artificial, you know, processed food and drugs and things that aren't the best for you. Okay, continuing on now. 1918, the Rockefeller Foundation uses the Spanish flu epidemic and the media that is already controlled by this time to start a witch hunt on all forms of medicine that were not covered by its patents. Within the next 15 years, all medical schools in the U.S., most hospitals, and the American Medical Association all essentially became pawns on the chessboard of Rockefeller's strategy to subjugate the entire healthcare sector under the monopoly of his pharmaceutical investment business. Disguised as a Mother Teresa, the Rockefeller Foundation was also used to conquer foreign countries and entire continents for the pharmaceutical investment business, just as Rockefeller himself had done a few decades previously with his petrochemical investment business. 1925. On the other side of the Atlantic, in Germany, the first chemical pharmaceutical cartel is founded in order to compete with Rockefeller's quest for control of the global drug market. Led by the German multinationals Bayer, BASF, and Hoche, the IG Farben cartel was founded with a total number of employees surpassing 80,000. The race for global control was on. November 29, 1929. 
the Rockefeller Cartel of the United States, and the IG Farben Cartel of Germany, decided to divide the entire globe into interest spheres. The very same crime Rockefeller had been sentenced for 18 years earlier when his trust had divided up the U.S. into interest zones. 1932-1933 The IG Farben Cartel, equally insatiable, decides no longer to be bound by the 1929 constraints. They support an uprising German politician who promises IG Farben to militarily conquer the world for them with millions of dollars in election campaign donations, this politician seized power in Germany, turned the German democracy into a dictatorship, and kept his promise to launch his conquest war, a war that soon became known as World War II. In each and every country Hitler's Wehrmacht invaded, the first act was to rob the chemical, petrochemical, and pharmaceutical industries and assign them, free of charge, to the IG Farben Empire. 1942 to 1945. In order to cement its global leadership of patented drugs, the IG Farben cartel tests its patented pharmaceutical substances on concentration camp inmates in Auschwitz, Dachau, or Dachau, Dachau, I think it's Dachau, and many other sites. The fees for conducting these inhumane studies were transferred directly from the bank accounts of Bayer, Hoechst, and BASF to the bank accounts of the SS, who operated the concentration camps. 1945, IG Farben's plan to take control of the global oil and drug markets has failed. The U.S. and the other Allied forces won World War II. Nevertheless, many U.S. and Allied soldiers had lost their lives during the conflict, and the Allies' reward was little compared to the rewards of others. The corporate shares of the losers, IG Farben, went to the Rockefeller Trust of the United States and the Rothschild J.P. Morgan of the U.K. 1947 In the Nuremberg War Crimes Tribunal 24 managers from Bayer, BASF, Hoechst, and other executives of the IG Farben cartel were tried for crimes against humanity. These crimes included leading wars of aggression, instituting slavery and committing mass murder, I'm sorry, instituting slavery and committing mass murder. In his final pleading, U.S. Chief Prosecutor Telford Taylor summarized the crimes committed by these corporate criminals with the following words. He said, without IG Farben, the Second World War would not have been possible. Amazingly, the real culprits for the death of 60 million people in World War II, the IG Farben executives, received the mildest verdicts. Even those executives directly responsible for the crimes in, in IG Auschwitz only received a maximum of 12 years in jail. Surprised? You shouldn't be. By 1944, Nelson Rockefeller had already entered the executive branch of the U.S. government. He started off as Under Secretary of State and ended up a few years later as Special Advisor of President Truman for Special Affairs. In other words, at critical junctures of the 20th century, the Rockefeller interests took direct charge. They decided the post-war shape of the world 
and they distributed all of its wealth. As such, under the influence of the U.S. State Department, the verdicts in Nuremberg against the IG Farben managers can easily be explained. In return for taking over the corporate shares of IG Farben and thereby global control of the oil and drug business, Nelson Rockefeller made sure that the real culprits of World War II were not hanged. In fact, and as we shall see, they were needed. 1949. The Federal Republic of Germany was founded. This was the first time in history that the constitution and society of an industrialized nation could be planned and modeled as a fortress of the pharmaceutical investment business, a transatlantic outpost of the Rockefeller interests. Within only a few years, the IG Farben managers sentenced in Nuremberg were released from jail and put back into their previous positions as stakeholders of the Rockefeller interests. Fritz Termier, for example, sentenced to 12 years in jail for his crimes in Auschwitz, was back as chairman of the board of Germany's largest pharmaceutical multinational, Bayer, by 1963. 1945 to 1949. The role of the Rockefeller brothers was not limited to their taking over the global monopolies of the oil and drug businesses. They also needed to create the political framework for these businesses to thrive. Under their influence, therefore, the United, the United Nations was founded in 1945 in San Francisco. To seize political control of the post-war world, three countries leading drug export nations had all the say, and 200 other nations were rendered mere spectators. Founded as organizations to allegedly serve the well-being of the people of the world, the UN subsidiary organizations such as the World Health Organization and World Trade Organization soon turned out to be nothing more than the political arms of the global oil and drug interests. 1963. On behalf of the Rockefeller interests, the government of the pharmaceutical Banana Republic, Germany, spearheaded one of the most infamous efforts ever made within the United Nations. Under the pretense of consumer protection, it launched a four-decade-long crusade to outlaw vitamin therapies and other natural, non-patentable health approaches in all member countries of the United Nations. The goal was to simply ban any and all competition for the multi-billion dollar business of patented drugs. The plan was simple. Copy for the entire world what had already been accomplished in America in the 1920s. A monopoly on healthcare for the investment business with patented drugs. Since the marketplace for the pharmaceutical investment business depends upon the continued existence of diseases, the drugs it developed were not intended to prevent, cure, or eradicate disease. Thus, the goal of the global strategy was to monopolize health for billions of people with pills that merely cover symptoms, but hardly ever address the root cause of disease. The deprivation of billions of people from having access to life-saving information about the health benefits of natural health approaches whilst at the same time establishing a monopoly with largely ineffective and frequently toxic patented drugs caused disease and death in genocidal proportions. 
This epidemic of unnecessary disability and death by the pharmaceutical business with disease is unparalleled in history. Linus Pauling and other eminent scientists deserve credit for having kept open the door of knowledge about the health benefits of vitamins and other effective natural health approaches. If it were not for them, we would already be living in a health prison today. Guarded by the gatekeepers of the pharmaceutical business with disease in medicine, politics, and media. Linus Pauling should also be credited for having identified the significance of Dr. Rath's early research in vitamins and cardiovascular disease and for having invited Dr. Rath to join him during his last years to continue his life's work. 1990-1992 These years will go down in history as the beginning of the end of the pharmaceutical business with disease. In a series of scientific publications, in some of which Dr. Rath invited Linus Pauling to join him as co-author, Dr. Rath identified micronutrient deficiency as the primary cause of disease. These diseases include heart attacks, high blood pressure, diabetic circulatory problems, cancer, and even immune deficiency diseases, including AIDS. Like a Sherlock Holmes of science, Dr. Rath traced the real cause of these diseases and found that they had been deliberately nebulized or even hidden away from millions of people for one purpose only, to feed the insatiable greed of the pharmaceutical business with disease. For further information about the history of the pharma cartel, we recommend the following sources. A book titled Rockefeller Medicine Men, written by Richard E. Brown, and a website called Profit Over Life, containing the official records from the post-war Nuremberg war crimes trial against IG Farben. And that website is spelled out profit-over-life.org. And that, my friends, is all I have for you today. Uh, thank you very much for stopping by. I'll try to do more of these news shuffles where I'll just pop in and give you some stories. And very, very soon I will get my studio back up and running and the rabbit hole power hour shall continue. Thank you very much. And if you weren't here at the beginning, one thing I wanted to plug is if you're into my show, um, as opposed to on here, on Podbean and Spreaker, we, where there are only seven episodes, if you go over to audiomac.com slash format FM, uh, there are actually 22 episodes available, plus all kinds of other stuff. It's my most complete collection. Um, I ask that you check it out if you're enjoying what you see here and want more content. Other than that, thanks one more time, and as always, talk to you later and have a great day.